0: A world of history and architecture. A world of food and experiences to broaden your mind and save you time and money as you travel. Learn more, discuss more, travel more, and enjoy life more. And now your host, The Professor Travel. Greetings, students, and welcome to this episode of The Professor Travel.
1: I am your host, The Professor Travel, coming to you from Orange County, California. This is the website, the blog, and the podcast that you come to in order to learn more about different travel destinations. This is where you come to in order to discuss them as a community. Hopefully, this will inspire you to travel more and ultimately enjoy life more. Now, I'm available through a variety of different social media. You can find me certainly at my website, which is theprofessortravel.com. You can also find me both on YouTube and Facebook at The Professor Travel. I'm now available on TikTok, so you can find me at theprofessortravel. Um, If you want to find me on Instagram, you can find me there at the underscore professor Underscore Travel. If you are on Twitter, you can find me there at the Professor Tr1. And then finally, if you're a blogger, you can find me on Blogspot at the Professor com. Today, I am so incredibly privileged to interview one of the. Amazing visiting professors, a a monster in, in 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 cruise influencers and in travel, Mr. Gary Benbridge. Hello, Gary. How are you doing
2: today? Hi, hi. Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, thank you very much for doing this. You are you are with us today all the way from Europe. Um, I mean, what time is it
2: there right now? So it's now twenty past four in the afternoon.
1: Oh my goodness! And so it's eight a almost. Nice eight. <laughs>
2: sunny summer's day as well. Which is yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's fantastic. Um, well, before we get started, I just wanted to share a little bit about your background with my students. So can you tell us a little bit about your educational
2: background and maybe a couple of favorite places that you've traveled in the past? Sure. Well, um, so I, I, as, you, as you mentioned, I'm in, I'm in London. I've been living in London for 30 something years. I actually grew up in Zimbabwe. So um, I, my, my my dad originally went there to join the police force in, in what was in those days, Southern Rhodesia, so before it was Zimbabwe. And so I went to junior school, high school there. Um, uh, actually went to university in South Africa and then moved to London, So and I've been in London. So I, I've lived in London all that time, although I had a job which was uh, with Johnson & Johnson, many people have heard of, looking after had like a global marketing job. So that's also where I started traveling a lot. So although I was based in London, I was living part of the time in New York, sometimes parts of Asia. So, you know, sort of lots and lots of travel uh, kind of around that. So that's my sort of background. But London is sort of where I've, I count as home, really.
1: Wonderful. And maybe a couple of special spots that you like. I mean, like what are those travel destinations that you typically go back to on a regular basis that
2: you really, really love? Yeah, that's a good question because people always ask me that what, are my you know what my favorite places in the world of my favorite places in the world are and, and then one of the things I would say is I'm I'm always wanted to go somewhere new. That's the big thing. So so I like I constantly, I guess we'll talk about it through the course of this, is I have this real desire to see things I haven't seen before. So I often don't go back to places, but where I do like to go to that my most My favourite place in the world is Victoria Falls, Mm. which is on the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe. It is the most spectacular, um, you know, this place in the world. It's, you know, it's very underdeveloped. If you go to somewhere like Niagara Falls or something, it's, you know, it's all quite commercial around it. I mean, it's sort of a (laughs) spectacular site. Victoria Falls is you know, it's still, it doesn't have, you know, these huge big cliffs and there's no fences there and it's kind of, it's just, it's very raw and it's just magnificent. Um, I love going to the beach. So if I was going, you know, so I love the Caribbean. I love places like Mauritius, places um, like that. And then, although my new sort of favorite places uh, is uh, the, the Arctic, or Antarctica. Mm. So it's sort of the extreme. So, you know, if I can't go to the beach, I want to go somewhere cold. I go to like. The two extremes, <laughs> if you like. I like it if it's like forty degrees or minus something degrees. I also, um, as you can see, I have lots of places. The other place that I also really, really like is Palm Springs.
1: Oh yeah, um, that's right here in California. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, my partner and I go to Palm Springs. Well, he probably goes there more often than I do, but like it's sort of a place that it, it's just very comfortable. It, it's it's kind of a strange place in many ways <laughs> uh, but it's just a great it's a great place and it's you know it's hot and it's just um it's just a very welcoming place so that's sort of a place I'd go to kind of just relax and, and and chill out so those are sort of the spectrum of places but to summarize it very very hot or very very cold very
1: nice um it, do you tend to also gravitate more towards r- rural um then say more urban or does it really matter No, to you? it's
2: interesting no no i i i mean the sort of joke with my friends is like my idea of hell is going to the countryside so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so so i do like i like cities i like where this stuff um happening but saying that as i said you know two of my favorite places is initially victoria falls and Antarctica, which is, is not busy but generally speaking i love i love Cities, because I like going to see things, and I like to do things. You know, I like to go and you know, visit museums or visit things, you know, famous things or buildings or whatever. So that you know, I'm much more of a city kind of person. That makes sense. Okay, so
1: during this interview, I want to talk to you about your channel, which is Cruise Tips for Travelers, but I also want to talk about you know, what it is, maybe how many countries you've been to, because you've been to a lot of places, which I'm yeah. just floored by, um, what types of content you have on your site, and of course, some of your favorite travel tips. Now, before we get started on that, let's dig a little bit deeper into who you are. So um, you know, I want to know a little bit more about you and why travel is such a passion for you.
2: I mean, it's interesting because... Um Ever since I was very small, I was obsessed with, like, getting out of where I was. So what I mean by that is, you know, I was my parents were English, well, my dad was English, my mother Scottish, and all, you know, so all our family, most of our family is still back in Scotland or, or in England um, when I was growing up, and I always felt I was missing out because now when I look back I realize how amazing it was growing up in Africa at the time because it was such you know it's changing it was a very beautiful place to grow up but I always was intrigued with you know my roots I guess if, if you like yeah. but also as a little boy I was I I loved history and so I you know like I would read about Egypt or English history or American history or whatever. I was obsessed with history, so I wanted to go and see all these places where things had happened. So I always, that ever since I was small, was always kind of something I was obsessed with. Also, so there's that side seeing those historical things was probably driving a lot, partly roots, but also as a little boy, I was I was quite geeky about <laughs> things like trains and planes. So you know, I, as you know, I always wanted to go and try these. Trains I was reading about, or these amazing, you know, ships I was reading about, or whatever it was. So there was this I wanted to go and do this. And when you're in Africa, you know, you don't have that. Although no, of course now you do, because you know, like in South Africa you have things like Robbers Rail, which are all these yeah. old trains reconstructed. You know, but at the, at, so I always just wanted to get out and see things, and also because growing up in in Africa, you know, it, I mean, there's not a lot. I mean. it's in relative terms, there's not a lot of people, and everything's very far away. And I would look at all these things like in, in England, where everything was so close, and you can go and see stuff. So I think there was those things that, that, drove, that kind of drove me. I always was worried that I was missing out. I guess, and, well, you know, need to see things. And
1: it's curious for me. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you, you had a career actually with Johnson and Johnson, but I was kind of worried. I'm not worried. I'm kind of wondering why you didn't maybe. Start in the travel industry, or was that more of a hobby for you, or like a like a like a reward almost for
2: doing? Yeah, no, it's really it's an interesting question because I never ever considered travel as a career ever. <laughs> it was really interesting, uh, you know, when I was looking into career, I I. I I, I liked originally. I was very into advertising. I didn't realize this thing marketing existed, and so when I went to university, I discovered actually this marketing is you know it's more than just advertising, and that's what I I really really liked. Um, and and so I'd always decided I want to be in marketing. Then I'd always decided actually, but if I joined like a multinational corporation, by nature it would have a global aspect to it, mm. and it would possibly have a chance of moving around. Now originally I was thinking, well, you know, if you look for a global company, you can maybe move between different countries or, or whatever so it was my love of marketing and then looking for a big multinational so originally I started working it was with Unilever and then I started at, at Johnson & Johnson and I stayed at Johnson Johnson for 25 years or something like that so long um, stint. <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely and and I and it, that also helped feed my passion for travel because i was originally the uk company then i had a european job looking after john's baby around europe so i was traveling around europe it was very exciting at that time because things like russia were just opening mm-hmm. you know, so we, we were very early in developing the russian business so going to russia before russia was really developed the, 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 the you know eastern europe was developing and then at Took on a global role from that so, and you know sort of opening up China and so that was kind of fed my travel stuff because on the plus side because it was business travel you traveled business class and in really nice hotels
1: oh yes very and nice earned, <laughs>
2: and, and, and even better you earned air miles mm, which you allowed really like to keep so that's then fed fueled all my kind of um social travel if, if, if you like so very nice yeah,
1: very nice indeed. Uh, in fact, I, I I got to think that has be, that had to be very very exciting to get in, in emerging markets from a, from a very purely good. from a purely marketing standpoint, let alone other business aspects. What a great opportunity! So
2: all of a sudden, well, we can also we can also I'm sorry to interrupt. You're oh, you asking how many countries I've been. to. i mean, I actually did the exercise. I've never done the exercise but when you originally I I a and you were asking that question. And I worked out I've been to 80 countries. 80. Um, 80. Yeah. Wow. And um, and then. And then I started looking at all the countries I haven't been to, which was really bad because it made me really frustrated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Be frustrated. It's kind of (laughs) of like these are your goals now at this point to be able to consider. I mean, I myself have been to 23 countries. I originally had, I think, four other ones to kind of visit in March of this year, unfortunately, the cruise I was going on was canceled, as we obviously know. Unfortunately, yeah. um, but you know, there's still there's still those opportunities, and, and I always look at it as you know, next year's another opportunity for us. Um, exactly. And I'm going to and I want to talk to you about some of the other some, in fact, some of the continents that you've been to in just a couple of minutes. But with respect to your channel, okay, so <laughs> you've had this career now, all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, you developed this channel called. Tips for Travelers, or Cruise Tips for Travelers, and um, to me, I got involved in this. I started watching this, I'd probably say a few years ago, probably about three or four years ago, I'd say, and it's been really beneficial to me as I've done my travels. Uh, you have a lot of different things and content on there, but what
2: what prompted you to start doing a YouTube channel? Well, I started, I started originally back in 2005. Uh, and what happened was, as I mentioned, I was doing this kind of uh, business travel. Mm-hmm. And because I was obsessed with seeing things, you know, I, I, if, I, I would always try and plan my travel. Uh, so I would have a day before or a day after, maybe a weekend. So, you know, I might be in one week, say, having a meeting in Singapore, Hong Kong, and maybe going to Sydney or something. So what I do is try and plan it. So I thought, OK, I've got a day in Singapore. What can I do? And before I'd go... I would research like crazy to say okay, I've got, you know, eight hours, nine hours, whatever it is, and I want to see these are all the things I must see. This is the order I'm going to see them in. This is what I'm gonna do, this is how I'm gonna get around. So that I could use those eight hours really well. And then then I thought, well, I've got this kind of and then of course I work out what worked. But then uh, then I thought, well, I've actually got this really good content. And then uh, Apple launched iTunes and mm. podcasting. And I would always, again, I, the geek in me was like, I'd love this idea. In I'd fact, when I was at university, I'd, I'd done, like, campus radio, instead set up a radio station. Oh, so I was a bit of a, a kind of a closet, like, um, presenter and kind of thing. <laughs> I thought, this is brilliant. So I have this content. Um, you know, after you stay in hotels, you know, a lot. So you've got the evening to, to do it in, 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 rather than just work. You have distractions. So I thought, I'm going to start a podcast. So I started a podcast. Um which I'd originally called My Travel Reviews, I think, was the first couple of episodes. And I thought, well, kind of a dumb name. Um, <laughs> so, so then I thought, then I just sat down one, e- one evening and I started Googling, you know, not Googling, and looking at domain names. Mm-hmm. And I put in tips for travelers because see ideas, and I suddenly realized that domain name was available. So that, so I took on the, you know, the tips of travelers. And so I started a podcast and it was very destination focused because that's what mm. I was doing, you know. And it was all around things you can do in Sydney in a day, things you can do in Singapore in a day, things you can do in, you know, Seoul for a day or Paris for a day or whatever. And then I think it was in 2006, about a year later, YouTube launched. And so what I started doing was videoing my hotel rooms that I was staying in, uh, partly to show people and remind myself where I was staying. And I put those on YouTube. And then I started videoing, you know, I'd go to a museum or I'd go on an attraction. That's just sort of videoing that. And I started putting that on YouTube. And then I, both the podcasts really took off, partly because there wasn't many travel podcasts at the time. And the YouTube channel started taking off and, so I thought, oh, there was some, something. So I, I just kept going with it, posting it. Um, pretty much focused podcast on destinations, YouTube very erratic. Um, then I started cruising, and then I started posting more cruising content. Mm. That sort of taking off. And um, and that really started taking off. And then I'd always – sorry, it's a long-winded story. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Please. So, so, so my plan had always been from very young that I was going to retire when I was 55, That'd always be my plan. And so I'd always been working daily retiring when I was fifty five. So I, you know so financially and everything I could, could do it. And then my idea when I retired when I was fifty five was that I was going to do some marketing consulting and I'd spend more time traveling, doing my podcast and everything. So you are right, a couple of years ago when I retired, I um, I started focusing much more on on the channels and stuff. But what I realized is, uh, two things I, I realized is, one, um, when I'd come back from a trip, I would always do the video first, because I liked doing the video, I enjoyed that the most, and I'd do the podcast second, and then I'd write a blog post third, to me. quite unique. <laughs> <Then> I because <also, laughs> I'm not a writer, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I can write a business proposal, but I'm, I'm not a writer, so... Much, people are much better at writing, but I thought I, I, videoing, I,
1: think, I feel your pain. I'm, I'm kind right, of a yeah, <laughs>
2: And, and too. Then, and, and then I sort of thought about it. And I thought, well, you know, it, it takes, if you really want to, I may as well earn some money from this, being kind of quite blunt about it. So, and I looked at it, I thought, so, well, you can't really make money in a lot of money in podcasting. I mean, some people can, but, but I thought it's probably much easier to make money on YouTube. And uh, what I liked about YouTube is you get enormous amounts of data, and I love data, my mm. marketing background. Yeah. So I started focusing on combination. And I love the fact that it could tell me i a much, much better read on who my audience was, what they liked, what they were watching. So I started focusing on YouTube much more, um, and then it really, really took off as I, as I focused and fine-tuned what I should do and stuff. Are you still doing the podcasting as well, or is it I do. tandem? Well, no, I have. So I have two. I have uh, I have two podcasts: the, the Tips for Travelers podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually this. I think this is the artwork from, um, and um, I do that much less frequently. I have another podcast which is called Essential, like Essential Tips uh, Cruise Tips, which uh, I strip out actually the audio from uh, the videos. Yeah um edit them a bit because it and and i use that those as, as a podcast my the tips of my main tips of podcast is much bigger um, so i tend to only post more destination stuff more on that um, but it's much it's much lower priority than it was but it's still much bigger than the other one it still does pretty well but because you know people because it's quite evergreen content you know old episodes from two three years ago still do really really well because you know people are looking for tips on paris Mm-hmm. Most of us are largely not too valid, so
1: yeah, absolutely. And one other quick question: Is it Tips for Travelers with two
2: L's or with one L? I know Good the spelling question. is different. <laughs> Good question. It's Tips for Travelers. The domain name is Tips for Travelers with two L's. Okay. Um, tips for Travelers with one L dot com is uh, is a dormant your uh, URL domain name, which I've been trying to get them to sell me, <laughs> but they seem to think it's worth like. Fifty thousand dollars, and I'm saying it's not worth fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> um, so I, I, at the moment, it's it's a two Ls. They, I, they, actually, they
1: need, need to do a market analysis to better <laughs> determine exactly. it's like worth fifty thousand. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about some of the places that you've been to. Okay, now, so how many how many contents ha- or contents? How many continents have you actually been to at this point?
2: I think I've been to all of them now. So uh, yeah, I've been to all of them. I think. Okay. Perfect. So, I mean, to yeah North America, South America, Asia, Europe, Antarctica. That's all of them, isn't it? Have I left one out? And that's um, Asia,
1: Europe, yeah. obviously. Um, yeah. So, okay, and Australia. Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Okay, perfect. And you said you've been to eighty countries, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I I so envy you. I can't even begin to start. Um, now you do a you do a variety of different content, but one of the things I really was fascinated by when I when I started listening to you a couple of years ago is you were one of the only content creators that talked about traveling solo, uh, specifically traveling, you know, by yourself on cruises and things like that. Um, I, I would like to take a moment to talk about that because I know some people are very hesitant to want to travel solo, um, primarily because of risk, but also because of a comfort level in some cases. Uh, what has been your experience or understanding of that process?
2: I mean, I, I, I do like traveling solo. And I do, as you said, I travel solo quite a lot. I mean, I travel with my partner quite a lot as well. But um, but, but obviously, because I'm retired from full-time work, I can travel as much as I want. So I take <laughs> advantage of traveling as, as much as I want. So, But I, I guess I got used to traveling solo, solo by myself from work originally um so so i kind of got much more comfortable with the whole process of solo traveling and what i have realized is right i do more and more content around solo traveling, probably because i travel by myself but also i've seen a definite growing interest in solo travel i guess because more and more people are are maybe getting married later or getting divorced or just have the comfort zone whatever um so so i have I, I have done a lot of, around that, and I think um, I think you're right. One of the key things is is having the confidence to do it, and I, I found um, I certainly. I found women are much more nervous about traveling solo, and I can probably understand why. Because also, you know, even when I was working, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of my peers were were women, and they would be much more reticent about traveling solo. They'd be much more restricted around what they felt they could do when they were, were, were traveling solo. But um, you know, to me, it's all just it's just about uh, it's always been about being cautious. Like I'm not a particularly big risk kind of taker, and it's about really understanding what you can and can't do in, in a place. So I, I would always spend a lot of time like, you know, uh, is this a city or a place that I can move around by myself or is it a place that I should pretty much stick with the hotel in terms of eating or not eating and, and that sort of stuff? So so, so I almost don't think about it. That's that's the thing. So that's what I've realised is I get a lot of questions about solo travelling. How do you do it? And, and probably, though, the biggest question I'm seeing much more is – people are more worried about the cost of solo travel than whether they should do solo travel i think more and more people become comfortable because and particularly with cruising it's a massive issue um, because very few cruise lines will 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 give you you know a solo rate in most cases you're paying up to 100% you know i on some of the cruises i do i'm if if my partner Mark came with me mm-hmm. we would basically be paying the same for the cruise Okay. as me going by myself or you know i'm not saving very much by going solo so that's a massive massive challenge so a lot of the stuff i get asked is how can i cruise solo in a more affordable way um it's become much more of a much you know, the bigger issue actually
1: let me chime in really quick because i know norwegian specifically has solo cabins
2: yes yeah and I, are, yeah.
1: are they the only Studios. ones that you're aware of that does that
2: so it's a good question. I mean, what's happening in cruising is the the people who there's two cruise lines that look, that, that really look after solo sort of travellers from that perspective best. Norwegian Cruise Line because they have the studios, um, which are a great concept. Uh, the downside with those is they're not on all their ships, but they're on all their new ships, and they're all inside cabins and very small. So if you're a sort of traveller that doesn't mind travelling in an inside cabin, doesn't mind having a small cabin, it's great. Now, obviously, Norwegian ships are big and there's lots of things to do. They have a, a lounge. Coming back to your question about making people feel comfortable, they have a lounge in that area. So it's a key card controlled. They have a lounge where you can mix and eat other solo. So from that perspective, it's good. Um, and it's quite affordable. The other cruise line that does it well, but it's very limited, it's very specialist, is Saga Cruises, which is in the UK. They target the fifty plus traveller. They they have two new ships. One which has come out. One which has actually just sailed out of the shipyard this week. Um, and twenty percent of their cabins are solo cabins, but they and they're all out. They're all balcony cabins, but they have solo suites, solo balcony cabins, like premium, mid priced, lower priced. So, 20% of their cabins are solar cabins. Mm. The Downside of Saga, it's very UK. They're only south of the UK. It's only for 50 plus. They tend to have a slightly older audience and they're all sort of a premium line. But if you're, those are the two cruise lines. Sorry, I'm get a long way. But mo- many of the cruise lines are starting to introduce solar cabins, but the problem is not many. So, you know, Cunard put it, you know, I think it's about 20 on their ships. Um, Holland America, a couple of their ships has a solar cabins, um, so some of them are starting to raw Caribbean. Some of their newer ships do, but no one does it like those two cruise lines. They, they they don't.
1: The other thing I would want to ask about, if you're aware, are are there like group cruises specifically that cater to like singles and things like that? I, I I'm not sure if like that's <laughs> yeah, there, a mar- there, There's a market there, for that.
2: There, there are. I mean, one of the things that there are um, there are and there's things like. I don't remember the name of the site, but it's something like solotraveler.com or something like that. But if people should Google solo travel cruise groups or something, and I think it's called solotraveler.com, but there are groups that organize solo travelers. um, And one of the great things, what what I always recommend with people with solo traveling, which is is what I do, is um, I – all, many cruise lines and even including river cruise lines will offer solo deals at different parts of the year they tend to be off season not, not surprisingly yeah. but you can do everything from Silver Sea for example on Silver Sea site, they have a little tab in their special office which is called Solo Travellers, that's how I, when I did my Antarctica trip, I went through there because they were doing it 10% on only uh, Ponant for example mm. they, they have them so what the other thing that I always recommend solo travellers do this, two things. One of which, sign up. If there's cruise lines you like, sign up, because at some point there'll be a solo travel. But an easier thing to do is if you go to those aggregator sites like vacations to go is one. They they look, they're global, even though they're US-based or you can book anywhere, wherever you are in the world. In the UK, there's one called rolcruise.co.uk. But those two, they both have a, a, a section for solo travel. So, what I often do if I'm looking like planning ahead is I'll go to those two sites and look at the solo tab and see what all the promotions for solo travel is at that point in time because that's where you'll find in an easier way where you can travel, you know, where you can travel solo for 10% to 25% premium. That's fantastic. Supplement, yeah. The other thing I'd like to touch base with you on really quick because
1: I know that you're one of the When I I look at the travel influencers that are out there, they're always talking about the big three. And for my students that don't know what that is, that's usually Carnival Corporation, Royal Caribbean, um, and of course, Norwegian. MSC is coming up a little bit, so you may hear a few things on that. But you also focus on other cruise lines that maybe that are more premium, and in some cases, or, or maybe even smaller in some cases that people aren't necessarily focused on or, and or river cruises. I mean, I hear you talk about Cunard from time to time and Oceana, Paul Gauguin, Asamara. How did you get into that space? Was it something that you were just interested in or was it one of those things that you noticed there was a gap in the market that people weren't talking about that? Um,
2: it's, kind of, it's a combination of all those things in reality. I I, I, um, it, I, I, I sort of... I. I I look at cruises that I would like to go on. Also, my audience is mostly forty-five plus, most and and something like thirty-five percent are sixty-five plus. Mm-hmm. So I also look at the cruises that I think uh, that audience would like. I mean, I'm sixty-one, so so you know, so I actually sort of go on cruises that I I kind of want to go on. So so, so it's partly is looking at what I think my audience would like, what what I would like, um, it, and it's also partly around you know when you look up there finding a point of difference, is you can find shed loads of stuff about Royal Caribbean, shed loads of stuff about Carnival, shed loads of stuff about MSC. It's also trying to find something that's that's not out there <clears throat> because also what I'm trying to do is, it, it is find what I think is right for the audience but also become a, a someone, someone comes to say, I'm thinking of, I want something different or I want, I'm tired of going Royal Caribbean, what should I do about, Whatever, or now I'm thinking of going to Oceania. Is it the right one for me? And so, so that's sort of why I do it. So it's a mash up of all, all, all those things, and um, also it's looking for stories that I can tell that haven't been told. You know, if I was to do something about Royal Caribbean, uh, there's a lot of not. There's not a lot new that I can can do. Um, you, you know, I can do things around um, which I have done, for example, on some of those cruise lines. I'll do things around multi-generational travel, for example. You that know, most of my audience are probably gonna be they might have kids and grandkids. So they might be looking at cruises which work for all their all their family. So I'll do a thing around why I think say princess is better for a multi-generational travel cruise than Holland America is. Mm. It's that sort of that sort of angle. Excellent. Um, yeah.
1: Um, something else I want to touch base on is because you've done so much travel, your your view on risk management. Uh, talk to me about you know places that you look into traveling that might have political or civil unrest and how that affects your travel plans.
2: Um, I tend to be relatively cautious um, when it when it comes comes to that. I think the advantage of going cruising, because I think there's two things. One, if you're doing it yourself it's certainly cruising, the advantage of when you're cruising is they will tend to manage all of that risk in most cases successfully. I know there have been some examples where they haven't those tragic things that happened with two cruise lines in, in uh, Tunisia and stuff where, where, where you know, the, some of the excursions were attacked and people were killed and stuff like that, you know, which, which but generally speaking, they tend to be quite cautious. So they will often have done a lot of pre-screening on those, before, I also, however, I have gone to places where there has been risk. So, like in Egypt, I've been to Egypt a couple of times where you know they have their big flare-ups and, and, and issues. Um, and so, I, I I sort of take a slightly fatalistic, I sort of balance the fatalistic side, which is you know, I guess, it's a view. No, yeah, it's
1: realistic. you no, it's
2: realistic. It's sort of like what do I th- what do I think the risk of me falling into trouble in these places are, and what is the you, you, you know, and what is the benefit. To be honest with you, well, I often would be more keen to go after something, just after something has happened. Yeah. So actually, for example, I went to Egypt just after there'd been some attacks. I think it was the, um, it was quite a few years ago now, but there was the, they attacked tourists outside the Cairo museum and outside the Queen Hap Cheep temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went, like a month or two after because my point of view is actually there's a lot of unrest they have really locked it down you know the same as you've seen when there's been incidents in london or i guess berlin or boston or you know that's you know those sort of things it's just straight afterwards is when there's ignore the, the country and everybody is kind of really uh locked down and strict so, so i it's a bit like i I, that's sort of how i manage it i, I guess i no. don't know that's sort the of answer your question but it's, yeah it's, it's and also um you know i don't have kids and i don't have you know that's so I, I probably have a slightly more relaxed view i think if i had kids and sort of families and stuff i would i would be more much aware more yeah and aware yeah yeah yeah
1: no that yeah. makes perfect sense um on a lighter side uh, what countries would you like to travel to that perhaps you have not yet? Like, what's on your schedule for? Like, this is something I really need to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's a great question because what I what I do every year as I sort of sit down, and I draw a list of um, where I really want to go to, and um, the, the the ones that are currently on that list is Galapagos, mm. which um, I really want to go to. I planned to go in twenty twenty one, but now of course twenty twenty is now moved into it 2021. <laughs> so, uh, it's like it's a whole, it's like 2020 now. That's it's
1: like a, everybody 20. moved their entire plans over yeah, one year. A,
2: so last so um, I so that Galapagos is very high on the list. Uh, and I know some people, who, two people who went last year, which made me uh, even more so. Uh, I really want to go to the Kimberley part of Australia. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. So I've been to that sort of part of Australia obvious, the Melbourne's, Sydney's Perth. But I really want to go to that more Um, sort of wild side and I want to go to much more of South America so I've been to the obvious places I've been to Mexico Mexico City Buenos Aires but I really want to go to um, explore much more like Chile Mm. uh, Paraguay those sort of places I mean what I would love to do is um, I'd love to do an entire south american around the south america trip so you get a a flavor and then figure out where i want to go go back to
1: we have definitely been looking at that and and funny that you mentioned about the flavor of a trip because when i my my perspective on cruising is it's almost like one of those boxes of candies where there's it's a sampler of all these different things and it's like oh you can you can find the things that you like you can find the things that maybe eh, i'm not As hot on, so I mean, of those places that I've gone on cruising, I've definitely seen some places I would absolutely go back in a heartbeat, and have in a couple places, especially like especially with Venice, Um, love it, love it, love it. Um, You know, I I absolutely would go back in a second. And I've been to Italy three times now within the last couple of years. So for me, you know, I have those places that I tend to gravitate towards that I really enjoy and that I really am wanting to go about. Uh, Let's talk really quick. I know I'm going long and I apologize. I want to be respectful of your time, but no, 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 you are just fine. so wonderful. I feel
2: like I'm talking too much. So. No,
1: you have amazing information. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite cultural spots. Um, in terms of religious iconography or uh, places of worship that you've had an opportunity to go to and explore for historical purposes or for just touring, what have been some interesting places that you've seen over your travels?
2: I think probably one of the most interesting of all was going to Jerusalem. Mm. Um, I, I went, I'd always sort of wanted to go, and I went was it two years or three years ago. There was actually a, a conference, a blogging conference, mm. which was held in, in Jerusalem. And I found that absolutely fascinating, that sort of combination where you've got you know, Christianity, you know, the whole Jewish and the Muslim and, you know that whole mishmash and the the conflict and the coexistence and non and all that and, but you know just sort of I'm saying that this place was the center for so many uh religious uh so much religious significance for such a diverse range of religions and you you know you've got the place where Jesus was doing on your beliefs also wasn't and uh you know the, the temple and then the wall and just that I found absolutely Absolutely, absolutely fascinating, um, and that, well, that was probably the most interesting because this that whole like mash the of the significance. Because I, I sort of you know you know the you know the importance of Jerusalem, but until you go there, I don't think you really understand. I hadn't really understood just how important it was, mm-hmm. and how you know you know. And there's a feeling about the place which I hadn't really appreciated before you know you, you feel like you're in somewhere really important and significant that that was the that was the one for me that stands out way way the second one if I could have a second one is mm-hmm. when I went to Japan uh, which is another place that I want to do that thing we talk about a taste of a cruise around Japan and I now want to go back and spend more, more time there but um, was also you know the whole Japanese approach to religion I found fascinating because you know, we we say used to even if you're not religious, but you're used to growing up, you know, in a Christian world or a Jewish world or you know, whatever world, in a country. But the whole Japanese approach to religion I found fascinating, with the Shinto, the Shinto temples and just their their like it, I found that fascinating because they they're very um, uh, spiritual uh, people. But without the constructs of religion, like we used do in the West, I guess, or even in, in the East, and I found that fascinating. Their whole approach to religion and the, the temples just fascinating. I'm
1: always um, no, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I apologize. No, 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 I
2: was saying I couldn't quite work it. I couldn't quite work out. But you go to these temples, and even I'm not a particularly religious person, but I found them very spiritual, um, and that that was amazing.
1: I'm always curious what people say to this question because. When I travel around, and I, like yourself, I'm 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 more of a I'm more of a spiritual person, not as religious. Um, and I've been to the Vatican, and I I thought it was okay. Um, It'd you be know, so it, cold. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, especially if you're doing the touring, you're shoulder to shoulder walking yeah, through the yeah. place. You you don't really get an opportunity to see all the really great works of art as you would, or some of the really impressive history that's there because you're shuttled through it so quickly. Um, one of the places I found I was just enamored by was on a recent uh, cruise that I went and had an opportunity to tour St. Petersburg and got a chance to see Mm -hmm. the Church of the Spilled Blood or the Resurrection was spectacular in my view. It's a smaller place, but it's one of those places that from from a historical vantage point and from the construct of the artwork there, because it's all tile work as opposed to tapestries and Mm -hmm. paintings and Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. just hands down one of my yeah, favorite places yeah. in the world. Yeah. So in terms of art though, where would you say is probably one of the favorite places that you've gone that you really enjoy the art the most?
2: It's interesting because it's, it's funny. Like I, I'm not massively, I'm not massively into art, but one of the places that I found the most impressive was going to Bill Bauer where they have a Guggenheim mm-hmm. museum. Yeah, They have some amazing, uh, really bizarre but amazing big you know massive big sculpture so they've got a big salvador dali there they've got some jet coons stuff there and that i found the most fascinating because it was so unexpected you know i've mean, never built the hunt to try and get people to go to Bubell, but that yeah and it worked i guess but it i found the art there just so interesting because it, it's not. It's it's completely what you would. You know. It's completely unexpected, mm. um, and and that's I found that the most fascinating. And also to your point is problems if you go to Florence or you go to any of the big museums in New York or whatever. You know, you're, you're shuffling around going oh god there's yeah. a Mona Lisa or there's a something or there's a David, but you're kind of ticking it off a list. Um, so that was the best experience for me. Was I hadn't really known what to expect, and it was just stuff I hadn't seen before. And, <laughs> you know, you could walk up to it, and you walk under it, and around it, and stuff. That that was the best experience, I would say.
1: Now, let's talk about language really quick, because you do so much traveling. Do you experience a challenge with language? Or I don't even know. Do you speak multiple languages? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. No,
2: I <laughs> Good. I, I mean, I found, me. I, I found it was interesting. When, when, when I was traveling a lot for work, I, I found I, I would – pick up I would pick up language not not because I'm not very good at picking up language but I pick up enough language to get people comfortable you know the hello the thank you how can you help me those kinds of things so I've always used language as a way of um some really basic stuff so to just break the ice and let people know you're trying but no I I don't I'm a very classic kind of one of the things I always regret is at school I was language wasn't a massive part of what we do. And I think certainly I think it's a disadvantage certainly for the UK and I'm probably the same in the US. Yeah. Where, you know, when I was working uh, you know, my European job and in my global job is all the people that were in my team from Europe, you know, if they spoke four languages, that was quite poor. Everyone from the UK spoke one and made a spattering of French or a spattering of Spanish. And that 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 uh, that was all the issue. So I've had to cope with um with not with Latin, not knowing language. But what I found is, because of the type of traveling I do, I'm normally going to places where, like, it's, it's sort of on the tourists are known, if you like. So even in Japan, which I I thought was going to be a real challenge, uh, you found there was enough people, you could figure out enough t- to get by. So I've never, I've never found that as a massive issue. The only time I've been a real issue is I went in January this year, uh, on a mekong river cruise mm. but i went to across europe where 99 percent of the passengers were french mm. and that was a that's only time i found out so for 10 days like it, i didn't really understand what people were talking about you know obviously they would do stuff in english for me and people would talk to me in english but i i thought i was missing out because i was in this environment where i was in this little kind of a bubble that was any time i I, I felt uncomfortable actually with language on the on cruise. The reason actually. I bring
1: the reason I bring this one up is because I am curious. Um, when I was looking into certain Ooh. cruises, I think it was I think it was Palmeter was coming yes, up, and yeah. Palmeter I yeah. think is a Spanish-based cruise. Spanish based yeah. cruise. Yeah, yeah. And but they had gone; they, they were going to somewhere that I wanted to go on a cruise, which mm-hmm. was Morocco. And so mm-hmm. that was part of their original destinations uh, not so much right now but um or maybe even ever again <laughs> unfortunately with paul, with paul um, but i mean that that to me is a, a little bit of a challenge because i want to be able to go to some of these destinations and i feel that i might be restricted if i'm trying to do something like that unfortunately if you understand what i mean
2: yeah i mean i think that one of the advantages though of, of cruises, because when I've been on other cruises, so I have been on other, for example, across the Europe, which, again, is a French company. Most passengers are French. When I've been on river cruises with them, I, even though, say, 80% of the passengers have been French, the the cruise line itself is is very good at making sure you, everything you get is in English, but they then group you with English speakers, so I've never found that an issue. And on Pullman Tour, although I haven't been on Pullman Tour, and I guess we never know who Yeah, be, at this point. <laughs> but I know a lot of English speakers who've been on a tour, and they've never once raised the issue of language, because English is sort of a default thing. There's normally been a big grouping of of English people um, on. So I've generally found on, on cruises, on cruises they're normally pretty good at dealing with multiple languages. Uh, but the other thing I've seen, though, which is the sort of flip side is – I'm trying to think which cruise I was on recently. I think it was was an Oceania cruise around the Caribbean in November. There was a a Japanese, maybe 10 Japanese uh, people on the cruise. And two of them clearly spoke no English whatsoever. But he would have these long conversations. There was some app. I, I never found out what the app was. Where It was on his phone. And he would talk in Japanese. The app would converted into English, the person would speak back to them. Like he was he was booking cruises actually. He was doing it with the future cruise person. She would speak back into the app, it would translate back in Japanese and they did a whole transaction with it. So I guess technology increasingly is gonna Help
1: us. Yeah, I've seen Google Translate do that. And so I, I think it's a little bit of a delay in the process, but I've, yeah. I've been impressed with what I've seen. There's actually a couple of different apps I think that are doing that. So um, right. so students that are out there pay close attention to these things as, as yeah. far as moving forward.
2: Um, really quickly. But can I just say, well, say one oh, thing sure. on the language? Of one course. of the things I, I think, because I know a lot of people are nervous about language, and I notice, but it's actually going, one of the things I say to people like if you're doing a river cruise in Europe, you can go on a river cruise like Avalon, um, uh, Uniworld, Emerald, which are mostly going to have, you know, 99% of people going to be English-speaking. They might be from the U.S. or whatever. But if you actually go on, uh, you know, like Nico or across Europe or one of those cruise lines, you're actually going to have a much more European experience than because your passengers are going to be from Spain, from France, from Italy. So it's also that mixture. You know, it's where you go, I think, as well, is you could actually enhance experience by going with, uh, with non-English speakers, first language because most Europeans, and in Europe, most Europeans will speak English. Okay, perfect.
1: Let's also talk about some diet and food As you've gone through your travels really quick, Um, I I know that when I go to certain places, I have a kind of sensitive tummy. And so, you know, going to a place like, for example, at the end of this year, I was supposed to go to India. And so it was one of these things where I was was planning ahead of time to, um, you know, embrace, you know, soup for about a week and then make that transition to eating, you know, more delicate foods in preparation for this have you ever had to do like preparation for different types of eating or you know whether it's richer foods or, or uh, street food or anything like that at all on your travels
2: not so much I always avoid street food any okay. anything that I, I I'm obsessed with things being cooked in a clean way. Okay, good. So, so I know lots of people, they'll street food and they'll go to the markets. I never eat food from markets and every kind of street food. I, I kind of eat in restaurants and, um, yeah, so I, I kind of, the way I deal with it is, is kind of avoid avoid that. I'm not adventurous. I have been on lots of trips with people where they'll want to go to the food market, you know, in, in wherever. From you know, Asia, it's like I'll come with you, but I eat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I will say this: you're adventurous in other ways. For example, I've seen videos of you. You're, you're 61 years old. I've seen videos of you biking in other places or, or doing recreation like that. I'm 47, and I'm I don't think I could keep up with you very well. What, what are some of your favorite recreational activities to do when you are when you are traveling abroad?
2: Yes, I mean you're right. I, I'm very into like being active stuff. So I love. Doing uh, cycling tours, um, so if there's a cycling tour, I'll always do it. I mean, the good news is now, of course, with e-bikes, they, they're incredibly, they're much easier now. Um, but so you know even if people are worried about not being active, if there's a bike ride with a with, a, uh, with an e-bike, don't don't let it put you off. Cycling is a great way of seeing places. Um, uh, I like hiking, you know, like climbing up mountains, um, and well. Not not mountain climbing, you know, but if a big hike up a, a hill, I, I will do. So I will always tend to go for the the active uh, excursion, often because they are the more, more scenic stuff, mm-hmm. and also I use it as a, as a good argument for why I'm eating so much on the ship.
1: <laughs> no, but you know, you actually have a point there because I know when I've traveled to Europe, whether it was on a cruise or whether it wasn't on a cruise, I found that. I would. The U.S. here we're very sedentary, and then when we go over to a place like Europe, we're seeing a lot of people are very very skinny, and we're we're wondering how is that possible? How how do they keep up like that? And part of it I think is because there are some obviously changes in the diet, but not too much. It seems that a lot of places, especially if you're traveling on a more urban setting, you tend to walk. A lot, like just a lot, a lot, or you're, or you're biking. Like when I was in Amsterdam, I was amazed to see like yeah, garages yeah. of bicycles, you yeah. know, worth of places. So it sounds like that's something that's definitely more prevalent in the European market as you go through that.
2: Yeah, it is. It it it, it depends. It depends. And probably the UK is less so. People in the UK are less so the uh, like like the US, like the US probably. But certainly, yeah, on, on continental Europe, you know, you're you're like biking, walking. Is, is, uh, is a much much bigger thing. But I generally like when I go, like I, I would tend to do lots of walking sightseeing and I just like being, I like the more, I like doing things that are more active. You know, kayaking, I would do uh, light water rafting. So it's not as adventure stuff, but I like active, I like doing active stuff, yes. Excellent. And then
1: one other thing I wanted to know is, had you actually traveled during any holiday periods that you've gotten a chance to experience um, local holidays of different places that you've been to.
2: I not not a massive amount. I mean, other than kind of the Christmas period stuff. So often, like we would go away normally at Christmas, and that's sort of it's a holiday holiday. I try and do a holiday which is not going to be something I'm vlogging and vlogging and, and whatever about. So, but not 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 that much. Often, partly because if I'm traveling solo, it's a terrible time to go because it's it, it's an expensive time because mm, that tends to be more families and, and whatever. So, not not so much. No. Okay. That's fine.
1: Um, so really quickly, let's talk about some of the content that you have on your site. Obviously, I've seen different types of news and reviews. Uh, you have a lot of top like top fives or top tens of different types of things. In fact, I want to say last night you just put out something. Um, it was like top six or seven ways to get an upgrade or something like that. I yeah, saw that early yeah. this morning. It was yeah. it's a really, I highly recommend that students, if you have an opportunity to do this, definitely go over to his YouTube channel, take a look at it. It's. He's got some great tips on these things. Um, you know, smaller cruise travel, uh, saving money for cruises, which is obviously, I think a lot of people, especially in the younger H bracket they're curious about how to do something like that um and then sometimes you'll have destination videos such as airline videos or or locational videos anything that i missed there or anything that was that that maybe you have even explored maybe doing more on
2: no i mean you're right i mean most most of the stuff i try and do is is tips based because obviously tips for travel. it's kind of uh, the stuff and that's the stuff i find does well the one thing i try used to do, which I would like to do more of is stuff around trains and train travel. Mm. So I, I have done more of that. I've done like the Gann in Australia, Robus Rail, and, and a few others um, around the world. And I would like to do more of that. Cause I think also, and, and Rocky Mountaineer, yeah, that's how I was trying to get yeah. up. Because I found it also a lot of people who like cruising also like trains. It's, it's something about <laughs> those things. And, and and a lot of them also often connect with, you can connect quite well with locations or, or cruising stuff. So I've, I've done some train stuff in the past, which has been very, you know, it's been popular. But I try and do much more tip stuff. And what's what's happened, though, since this whole pandemic-y thing is um, it's having to flip a little bit about what I do content-wise because what I've found... People actually at the moment, because like we're saying, everyone's shoving everything out. No one knows when cruising is going to start. People don't even know when travel is going to start fully. They start travelling and then quarantines get put in place and countries get closed or whatever. So I'm finding actually that people want to watch a different type of content at the moment. So it's also about being nimble and reading the audience. So people want to watch much more news stuff. I don't see my channel as being a news channel, but that's what people want to watch. So it's also about having to adapt. So you know, I am putting out some stuff like you were saying, the cruise cabin upgrade, because I still want to keep some regular, normal life content out there. But sure. it's also, I think, you know, it's about adapting to what's working, what people, what people are looking for. But my main focus is like tips, helping people.
1: Do you do you find that a lot of people are? I, I spoke with a recent. um YouTube uh, influencer as well and he was indicating a lot of the things on his channel were' starting to focus on domestic travel is that something that you're starting to see like uh, people in like maybe people in 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 the UK are focusing more on travel within the UK or or are they really focusing more in the european yes. market
2: i I haven't seen it as much but i I absolutely think that's that's right. You're going to see that as as it opens up much more. And I think what we're seeing, for example, as you know, in cruising, like uh, in Norway, uh, Norwegians can go cruising around Norway on two cruise lines now. Uh, Germany just started this weekend with their first, uh, you know, Royal Caribbean's Mind chief, uh, chief. It's a joint venture they have. Papak Lloyd is starting. Aida Carnival Corporation starts on the second. Yes. And so I think we will... And the UK, Hortogruton's uh, launching around the UK on the 2nd of September. They don't have a final approval for that yet. So I think we're going to see not only for non-cruise travel, but for cruise travel, I think people are going to... The, re, the, real, the reality is that cruising is probably going to open up regionally, not cross-country, uh, for for a specific grouping of travellers. So I think people will start to be looking at At domestic in a much much bigger way um, it's hard to see how cross country travel is going to operate you know in, 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 in any way it's a big challenge of course for the u s because the rule, the laws in the u s you can't do a lot of that stuff yet but, yeah yeah and a but lot yeah, of our so so countries don't even want us to travel to them at this time exactly and then the, 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 the passage people call it the Jones Act, but I think it's the passage of something act where you cruisers have to call it a foreign port before they can come back. So a lot of what's happening in Europe, what's happening in Asia now, Taiwan started, they're doing, you know, cruises around, like, you know, Norway's doing it around Norway, Taiwan's doing around their islands. The, the US, as I understand it, can't do that. So I, I guess they're going to have to find a way of doing that because I think there's going to be that real shift to not going too far away from home and staying within the one healthcare system, uh, you know, if there's a problem, being able to get home easily, all that stuff, I think absolutely it's, it's going to be bigger.
1: You know, it's funny that you mentioned the Jones Act because I was doing some research on that, and it, I think the original intent was that it was supposed to be a merchant act specifically for that. Yeah, but I, I, I know that when I went to, I, I went on a cruise uh, a few years ago. I. I uh, It started in Oahu, and we were just doing all the Hawaiian islands, and I was trying to figure out how they were going to get around doing the Jones Act. They didn't. They actually had to travel 1,500 miles south to a very small island called Fanning Island, which is a part of the Republic of Kiribati, in order to drop off supplies, and then they were able to come back up. I'm like, 1,500 miles south is a long, long, long uh, travel.
2: Exactly. I mean, it's going to be interesting because what, what the German cruises, because the problem with Germany is they don't have a big coastline, so yeah. they don't have ports. Like, so Pernant is fine in France. They're sailing to all these lovely out-of-the-way ports. Mm-hmm. Um, but what German, the Mind Shift does, is they sail to Kurinstadt in Norway. They docked in there for a technical call, and then left and so back to Germany. But no passengers got off, no crew got off. So literally was, I guess, a similar thing. That well, And I don't know what the German rules are, but, but I wonder if it's, that's, you know, the, the way around is something something like that. But, but I think domestic is going to be, um, you know, really big, yeah. I would agree.
1: Okay, so some burning questions that I know I have, and I know some of my viewers have as well. What is the most common question that your viewers are asking you on your YouTube channel?
2: The most common question I ask is is really around: uh, "Is this right for me?" Okay. So um, you, you know, so it's it's, it's it's quite a general question. But you know, I'm thinking of doing this. Is this right for me? Um, That's normal what's happened. Now what's happened, if you're asking what I've been asking for the last two months is, um, should I cancel, shouldn't I cancel? How can I get my money back? Should I only be booking next year? So it's become very, very practical and very uh, linked to everything that's going on. So it's a much more um, like... Not agony, uncle, but it's sort of like it's like, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? Yeah. Um, I, you know, and and that, that, that's but normally it's around. Can you help me make the right the right decision?
1: And now it's more of an advisory role about like what should exactly. I do? Because I think I'm what stuck I in I this kind of situation.
2: Yeah. yeah, should I pay my my final balance is due for a cruise I've got in October? Should I pay it? Things like that. Excellent.
1: Um, now, what is the question that you wish that your viewers would
2: ask? <clears throat> The, the, the question I wish they would ask me is, would you make a video about this because I really want to? That's the That's the question because it's knowing what they want, that's what I really you know, would, would ask, they would ask, is the things that I don't know that they really want to know, <laughs> to get, stuff that would give you much more insight. Um, so they tend to ask questions which are linked to what I'm doing. I wish they'd ask me questions about what I'm not doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like... It would help me much more as a creator to, to to solve that thing. So I know when people do send me questions, like someone said, come back to the solo travel thing. Someone sent me, me a question. In fact, two people sent me a question the same week, which was around how do I how do I how can I find a better deal for solo cruising? Like, well, that's a fantastic question. And do you have a video that helps me? You know, find a better way, cheap way to solo cruise? It's like, well, no, I don't. But I will have one within a week. To answer <laughs> <laughs> so that's a sort of, you know that's the sort of because then and that video did fantastically well because that was what people were looking for you know, so that, that's, you,
1: you just don't know until you try it I guess exactly, and that's kind of what exactly, it is yeah and yeah. as people like start to bring up those questions it does. For influencers out there, it it kind of does spark that in, interest. It's like you know, maybe I should do a little bit of research. Maybe I should find some experts on that. Maybe I should do some secondary and maybe even some primary research in order to be able to initiate that process. So I think I think yeah. that I, I think that the the audience, our students, our, our listeners and our viewers, I think they provide us with just as much content as we try to provide as experts. Absolutely.
2: So I think you I think you're right as, as a as someone listening to or watching somebody that you, whose opinion you, you like is ask them to do content for you is <laughs> the best thing you can do. Like, this is what I really want to know. Can you do something about it? Can you answer it for me? That, that would be the best thing as a viewer that, that, that you could do to help uh, you know someone that you, that you like watching. Excellent.
1: Now over here in the states we have global entry, we have mobile passport. Do you have anything like that at all in
2: terms of in the European market? No no. Not really there is four I think there is four non EU UK passport holders. I think there is places. But really what's happened in Europe um, much more and it's also places I guess now like Australia is, you know, the the um, machines where you basically it reads your passport. So that's been the real that's been a real change because you can get through really, really quickly without 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 queuing. I know even now when I've, so when I fly into the US, when I used to travel a lot for work into the US. I was coming there once or twice a month. I was looking at the time of should I sign up for global entry because all the you know snake slowly for an hour and a half down the thing. But now they have the machines in the all of the US places, it's it's pretty quick coming out. So no that that's been the main thing. That I, that I use. And
1: I know they used to do like, you'd have to fill out these slips and as early as like a year ago, two years ago. Now it's like,
2: you can, you can have no paperwork. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's really no paperwork at all involved in this yeah. process. So yeah. just ask you a quick question and boom, you're on your way. Yeah. yeah. So um, another question I know some of my viewers ask me occasionally is, in terms of currency, do you tend to buy that domestically before you go on trips, or are you going to buy that when you arrive in the country that you're that you're going to?
2: I would normally take it I would normally take it with me because okay. you can normally get a better rate. I tend not to travel with a lot of countries. I tend to mostly travel with US dollars okay. because, or Euros. Um, so it's only and I would normally check out before I go to places, can I get away with U.S. dollars? Uh, or, or even in some places, euros. You can get away with, like, I was in Vietnam and stuff, they would take euros as well. But, but I, I would normally, I would normally, in, you know, obviously if you go to places like Japan and stuff, you can't use U.S. dollars, but, but I would always start with the defaults. Can I just keep, is there a way to use U.S. dollars? Or, or, or is it a, an easy way to convert U.S. dollars into local currency? I used to uh, draw money out of cash if I needed local currency. Um, But normally I would take it with me. So, uh, because I I get the best best deal. But if I I often, if it's going somewhere that I'm not going to be another thing, I'm going to spend a lot of money. Like when I was in Cambodia this year, I, I thought I'm not going to spend... I didn't, have no idea how much money I'm going to spend in Cambodia. So I literally got by with you, so I was and took a little bit out of the cash point, even though it wasn't a terribly totally good rate. So I didn't waste... I didn't you know, get $100 worth of Cambodian... kind of what the currency was now. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is over there, that's like very <clears throat> expensive I'm, I'm now kicking around with you know, trying to buy something. So, so I try to minimize the amount of currency I take. Okay, fantastic.
1: Well... This has been an amazing opportunity to speak with you. As I said, I have been a fan of yours for a long time. I hope a lot of my students go to your go to your YouTube site as well, which is Cruise Tips for Travelers again with two L's. Uh, it's 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 phenomenal. You you are a fountain of amazing information for us in terms of our travel. So again, Gary, I want to say thank you so much for taking in your time in order to be able to provide us with that information. It's really appreciated, sir.
2: Brilliant. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. It's good. Thank you.
1: Now, for my viewers that are out there and for the students that are listening, if you have any questions or comments, you can always send them to scott at theprofessortravel.com. If you like this video, you can certainly give us a thumbs up. We really appreciate it. If you want to know when new videos are being posted, you can click the bell icon above us here. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, please do. Now, if you're listening to this on the podcast, again, please feel free to rate us. Please feel free to subscribe. We really do appreciate it. But until our next journey, make every day a
0: travel adventure thanks everybody have a wonderful day goodbye now the professor travel is a broadcast from Orange County California a transcript of each podcast may be requested by contacting the professor travel at his website the professortravel.com for opportunities to work with the professor travel feel free to contact Scott at the Travel.com or contact us through YouTube Instagram or Facebook at the professor travel or Twitter at the professor TR1. Make every day a great day to have a travel adventure.